They should win the game. They get a point. We, we score a perfectly good goal. Make it 2-0. Game's done, done dusted. We win the game. Fish was cost you two points, Dave. It's standard. 10 past 10. Most of the children are probably in bed, but the, these, these boys are fucking mentality giants. It's unbelievable. And Shakiri hasn't he the funniest shape. He's a little chunky fella. They'll fight for the tree. The joke. Gone about far this, far that. Help the officials out. Clearly they need help. Clearly we play in the Premier League. The joke. The joke. Hello and welcome to the Tree at the Back podcast with myself, Phil Green and Keen Carroll. So after a hectic Christmas period, we finally regrouped and there is loads on the agenda to discuss, including Liverpool's rampage towards league glory, all the while throwing the FA Cup in the bin. The incredible job done by Ed Woodward to get Bruno Fernandes' signing over the line um, and Villa's last gap, League Cup heroics and the whole bucket load of Irish talent who have been making their claims for Nation League playoff inclusion, where we'll be chatting to Kevin Higgins a little later on in the podcast, the mastermind behind Kenny's Kids, the Twitter account, keeping track of every single Irish player across the Irish Sea and beyond to see whose stock is up or down ahead of the massive game against Slovakia in a few weeks' time. Um, it's been a while, Eds. How are you? Hey, Kevin. Okay, how are things? Hey chaps, uh, as the lads say, it's been a minute. Indeed, um, and in terms of that minute, I think what a better place to uh, to get back on track than with Liverpool. Um, and rather than talking about the incredible form over the past month or six weeks, um, it's been a little bit of controversy this week with Klopp who um, kind of stirred everyone with his decision to not manage the uh, third round replay with Shrewsbury Town after uh, they drew two all at the weekend. Um, he's also excluded the entire senior squad from playing there as well. Um, Phil, this is a kind of a tricky one. Um, there's obviously the the FA Cup people who've been kind of growing up watching it and, you know, the magic of the cup and all that. And then on the other hand, you've kind of a group of people who kind of just want to see Liverpool win the league and if the cup comes, fair enough, it's not really a huge addition apart from that. Where do you stand on, on Klopp's decision to to basically exclude everyone and himself from, from the replay? Yeah, I, I've been thinking about this probably more than I ideally would have been because of how much conversation has been, about, been around it since Sunday evening. I, I think there's probably two parts to it. The first part is, why is Klopp doing it? And the second part is, is it fair, uh, whatever fair actually means? So in the first instance, why is he doing it? Like, You've seen loads of people over the last couple of days say, I understand why he wouldn't play the senior squad, but could he not just manage the team himself? Or could he not have just not announced he was going to do this? But I think that might miss the point. I think Klopp announced it so he could make this fuss. I think the fuss is part of the point. And um, because, as you'll know, Kev, um, Klopp has been kind of banging this drum for mm. at least two years now about fixture congestion. Uh, he's on the record as calling the potential expanded Champions League bullshit. Uh, it's been widely reported that he has to negotiate with FSG every summer about as short and as close a summer uh, travel as he can. Uh, he just doesn't like loads of extra games. He likes the important games. Whether he's right or wrong, that's his, his point of view. And from a position of strength now, he's kind of taken a stance and he's kind of forced the issue uh, and brought it into this kind of public debate. As to whether it's fair, um, like, pardon me, <laughs> like in life, I want the most good for the most people and like broadly kind of left-leaning stuff in real life and in politics and 
unfortunately, life's not like that. We live in a capitalist society, and football is like hyper capitalist. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of fairness, like you, you look at like people who are saying that truth we are being robbed of the occasion, which is which is tr- a true point in that like he's not going to be playing Mo Salah in the replay, and he's not going to be on the line. But even if you look at Sam Ricketts and what he said, they're getting five hundred grand out of the replay, sort of around that figure, and that's going to go into club infrastructure. So straight away, this lovely story about uh, mid-table league one side getting a replay against possibly the best team in Europe has turned into one about money, and that's just what Klopp is ultimately following. I mean, if, if you take the most generous interpretation of his, his motives, he wants to win the league and the Champions League because the most glory is there, but it's also the most valuable. Like he hates fixtures, but he wouldn't sack in a Premier League game because it's too important. Mm. The cup is just it's 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 kind of vulnerable. And like you look at someone like Carl Robinson at Oxford giving out about getting a replay against Newcastle because he's in a promotion playoff race in League One. So all of a sudden, the the playoffs in League One is more valuable than the FA Cup. So I think there's kind of an element of shit sliding downwards here in that the race to the top of the Premier League meant the cups weren't that important. That's trickled down to the likes of Leicester and people like that who are playing for European places, trickled down to people who are playing to stay in the league, then to get into the league from the championship and so on and so forth. So I think basically where the money is and where the glory is isn't in the cup anymore. And that affects most teams in football. It's just the Klopp's actually been the first one to just not give out about it and do something. Mm. Is it a bit shithousey? Yeah, I, I, I do think so. In an ideal world, it wouldn't happen. Um, but he's kind of taken action for his team's self-interest. Mm. Uh, just before I, I delve into it, can I just refer back to uh, how Phil um, quite nonchalantly referred to Liverpool as possibly the best team in <laughs> in, in Europe? Like <laughs> I, I did pick up on, on that. That was a wow moment there for me, lad. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, look, I'm completely, completely with Phil on on, on his points, and um, and there's no but um, coming in there. Like I, initially, my reaction was kind of, oh, that that's kind of not on, um, because you know the 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 legal the, the the lower league clubs enjoy the the proceeds of the replay, and and that's important. But the more I thought about it, honestly, lads, the less I really cared. Um, uh, and because the the the, conver- the the pros and cons and the conversation itself is so nuanced and there's like so many shades of grey and the conversation then around it is so polarised as as it is these days and anything it's like it's it's either black or white or left or right um did uh, the, the answer probably is somewhere within within the middle and um, in terms of was Klopp Klopp is in a position of power to to affect change in in, in these situations, and and you also have so it, like you know, Premier League clubs don't particularly want to, especially ones at the top end, don't really want to have to, you know, play these games and and have such congested fixture schedules. But at the same time, Championship clubs, like Phil was saying, like Championship clubs and League One clubs, mm. who are in you know, who have also huge fixture um, backlogs and uh, basically are in, you know, playoff races and championship title races, etc. Like, they don't want to be playing it either. You know, they put out um, weak inside. So it's like, who's right? There is no right. There, In my opinion, there is no right. There is no wrong. Um, what I will say is that change kind of... People just don't really... Are, they're not comfortable with change. I mean, the League Cup has been has been about for so long. The FA Cup has been about yeah. for so long. 
people don't like change and they certainly don't like being forced into change by um by them by them foreigners uh, especially not by the jerry foreigners do you know that kind of way so um yeah uh it, it just my overall kind of feeling on it was that i just didn't really care all that much and and whatever will be will be um i will say though that i mean like from villa's point of view um yeah, we like Villa benefited from from you know already um, in terms of Liverpool fielding a week inside. I think we did address it in previous pods. I, I I don't understand why Klopp just can't throw in two or three of the senior players who probably do need a few minutes. I mean, it definitely feels like obviously he's taking a stance here, and it's not just about his players' welfare. Do you know that kind of way? I don't really feel like it is just about that. He is absolutely making a point to the authorities that he is demanding change. Um, and uh, I don't really think that's his place. I don't really think that's his place. That would be, yeah, that would be my secondary feeling on it. Um, but my overall feeling is that I don't really care all that much. That, that was my initial feeling, Um when I heard that he wasn't going to manage the game um, because, you know, throughout the weekend there had been stories about, um, I think Brentford were one example who played a weakened team. And I mean, there's been examples across leagues where teams are playing weakened sides in the FA Cup because they might be going for promotion. And I imagine if you ask a lot of teams, would you rather a decent cup run, maybe get to the fifth or sixth round, or do you want to get promotion or do you want to be in the playoffs? They're going to take the playoffs. Um, so I kind of really didn't care too much, but when I thought about it, and I kind of echo your thoughts, Keen. I, I think Klopp's decision to exclude not just the players but himself is kind of a, a stance where mm. his goal is he's trying to enact change, whether that means getting rid of the League Cup or whether that means uh, getting rid of replays from next year and going straight to penalties. He wants less games, and he's been very vocal on that. But I don't think the FA or anyone in charge is going to let him win this one um, as stubborn as he can be. And the more I thought about it, and I think I'd be interested to see how he's reacted to this reaction, because I think I think it's wrong that he's not managing the game. Um, fair enough. In terms of the senior squad, I imagine for the last couple of months, they've earmarked, earmarked these two weeks as a winter period. And they've probably kind of aligned all their training and all their conditioning or whatever to say, you have two weeks off, you know, go on holidays, go to the beach, whatever you want to do. That's fair enough. And I think that's why possibly he's also excluding like likes of Matip and Lovren and whoever else. But, I mean, what's one night for Klopp? I mean, fair enough if you don't want to train the squad get Neil Critchley and get Pep Linders or whoever's there to train the the U team in the approach. But I think he should be there on the night. And I don't think it's a good message to the players that will actually be playing the game because this is the second time now that Klopp is not going to be on the sideline for a senior game. So what does that say to the likes of Harvey Ellis and Curtis Jones and whoever else um, who's kind of on the periphery there and you're playing your second senior squad without your senior manager on the sideline looking over you. And I mean, mm-hmm. you know, whether Liverpool win or lose, I'm, Klopp is probably doesn't really care once he wins the league um, and gets the Champions League run. But I don't think it's, I don't think it's the right message to send to his players. And I think mm-hmm. his intention of sending a message to the authorities 
um, and kind of putting his foot down um, in kind of protest for all these games, I don't think it's going to get him anywhere. I mean, I can't see anyone within the Football Association letting him win this one. Mm. It, it's not, it's both cup, cup competitions now. So yeah. it's the League Cup and now the FA Cup. And that might come across or, or be perceived by like the FA and the League as quite arrogant um, and maybe a step too far. And, you know, he, you might get the rabid nationalists really up in arms, whereas there wasn't too much of a kerfuffle and there was understanding behind the the League Cup thing about, about Villa because they were playing in another competition. But this is a whole diff- different kettle of fish. So he kind of, he might have stepped in a bit of shit here. Um, but yeah, yeah. I think I think his reputation has definitely taken a little bit of a hit. Um, I mean, if you're if you're neutral to the whole situation, um, and you're probably a, a, a liker of Klopp if you support a different team. I mean, I mean, what's not one night out of two weeks for the manager? I mean, he's not out in the field week in week out. I mean, fair enough if he has to cut his holiday short for for a day to travel over back or whatever. I mean, I think it just sends the wrong message, um, and I think it'd be a little bit more defiant of him to actually show up and manage a squad with a bunch of of guys a lot of people have never heard of. And Keen, I only caught a glimpse of uh, Villa's League Cup win over Leicester last night. Um, and a few things struck me. First of all, why on earth is Peperena there when you've Orion Nyland, the great wall of, of Norwegian steel? Um, mm. Secondly, I thought... And you might disagree here. I thought Jack Grealish showed up James Madison mm. in a way. And I'm starting to wonder, would he be more beneficial to England in terms of he, he kind of grabs games by the neck more so than Madison mm. would. And thirdly, and again, you might disagree here being a little bit closer to the club than I am. But I just get the feeling that Villa, they aren't hugely far away from being a kind of a Leicester or a Wolves type of club if they mm. can keep patience with Dean Smith a little bit more work on the squad. There's there's a few players that could probably be be, uh, be sent be, be sent back packing their bags. But I don't think Villa are hugely far away from from a, a major leap into kind of a, a mid table or above squad. Mm. Kev, you, you might have to keep me on the straight and narrow here and remind me of questions <laughs> um, because I'm, 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 I'm an Orion excited Island. little dog here. Orion Island <laughs> and Pepe, I knew was the first one. What a keeper. Well, what a keeper. Um, yeah, what a keeper. Um, it was certainly a fantastic performance, some absolutely incredible saves. Um, he, The long and short of it is, Kev, Orion Island has been a bit of a disaster when he first started. <laughs> Um, he was. It, it took probably a year of acclimatization and a good goalkeeping coach in Neil Cutler to get him settled down a bit stronger. Um, and obviously, he suffered injury, uh, a bad injury, just as he was coming good last season. Um, which which meant obviously there was a, a clamor for a real steady, solid, um, experienced number one. He does have tremendous um, shot stop and skills. He's quite good with his feet. Um, he really has all the it's all the hallmarks of of a mod a really good modern number one. He has been a bit he's a little bit flappy. He can um, he can kind of uh, he, he lets in he can put in a really kind of poor performance um, where you're just like how is he how is he let those goals in? Um, Pepperina um, obviously short time cover for for Tom Heaton who's been injured. 
um, has been bloody tremendous since he's come in. Like, he's 37, 38 now, and I was surprised that Villa were going in for him because I thought, you know, he was nowhere near his best. And the last time I'd really seen him was at Napoli, who he'd mm. been really good with, but I was a couple of seasons back. And I don't think he really played it at Milan because Donnarumma, uh, Donnarumma, Donnarumma? Donnarumma. Um, yep. was was fantastic um, so or is fantastic so um, but yeah he really surprised me he was top class he's, he's like still really agile uh, he commands his box so well and um, really good shot stopper well, you boys know him like you know being Liverpool fans and uh, he the last time he was at Liverpool was was what 12 years ago 11 years ago that that's yeah. amazing that's I didn't realize it was that long um, so yeah I mean he's been a hugely pleasant surprise and, and apparently a really good um a really good leader in the dressing room, big mm. a big character, big personality. Um, so yeah, Nyland um, Nyland seems to be the backup, um, the long term backup to Tom Heaton. Um, obviously quite able dep- deputy, but just has the ability to throw you know a really bad game in there the odd time, and it just makes you think, oh, you know he there's no way he's going to be a long term number one, but I think he's only 25, 26. Uh, so yeah. Yeah, um, that's kind of where you're at with the with the, the goalkeeping. Um, in terms of Grealish lads, like you know, uh, you know, I've been banging this drum for a long, long time, and we spoke what eighteen months, two years ago about Grealish Madison, and you know the whole you know who's better. But and I don't think I honestly don't think you know that was a definitive sort of yeah. uh, opinion on the on, on the players last night. Kev, you hit the nail on the head, like. Grealish is a different kind of player from Madison. He's a different kind of attacking um, midfielder, a playmaker. He is the type that James Madison is a cog in the attacking wheel of Leicester. He's a very important part of it. But but, but Grealish is the wheel for Villa. He is the wheel. Um, Like, everything goes through him. Um, I think Madison last night struggled. I thought he impressed um, and and was very unlucky not to score. And Ireland made some incredible saves to keep him out. But um, it felt like every time he he was in possession and around the goal, he wanted to have a shot. I think he was under pressure because I think Grealish kind of like had him wobbling a little bit and he was probably overthinking it and he needed to kind of do a little bit too much because Grealish, every time Grealish got on the ball, he was just picking the right pass and you know obviously he got the assist he was unlucky not to score a couple of times you know he was just he just is so good to watch he's just so enjoyable to watch it's natural it's completely natural the the game he's like a savant you know it's like uh, it's like a gas going it's like a messy it's like everything is like or it's like as i was saying it on twitter last night He's like a Ronnie O'Sullivan. It's like everything comes just so naturally to him. Everything he does is so precise. and um, Well, nearly everything he does is so precise. Uh, I think if Villa stay up this season, I, I do think he will hang around. Um, I do think he will hang around because the, the owners are very rich and they will put money behind him. Um, and I do think we need to... to remain patient with Dean Smith um, because it's not easy with what he's done. He's shipped out a whole lot of older players, brought in 12, 12 13 new players. Um, a lot of them are young and, and new to the Premier League. So it would have taken a little bit of time. And we've obviously suffered with injuries, losing McGain and Mings and obviously Wesley and Tom Heaton. Um, so, yeah, I mean... Fingers crossed, the League Cup final coming up now. We won a six-pointer, six-pointer at Watford, um, and we've I think we've Bournemouth coming up the weekend. So 
yeah, all, all guns blazing into the last 16 games. Um, I would be interested to, to know like what you think of Grealish, both both of you, because personally speaking, lads, like as a as a Villa fan, Jesus Christ, there's, I don't want him to leave. Like, do you know, what I can away. It would break my heart to see him leave. Um, but if he did go, I think he'd have the pick of 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 any of the clubs. I'm not saying that he would he would be an automatic first choice at Liverpool or City, but I definitely think he could add something new. Um, to to both those squads because in reality there are very 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 few players like him that can affect the game. This is not meant on, as a slide on Jack Grealish in any way, but he could be kind of a Lalana one and a half to Liverpool if right. you know what I mean. Like he has such brilliant technical ability, um, but he doesn't seem shy of a bit of, a bit of work which is where I see the Lana thing coming in. Like, he's much better going forward. Um, and I think he'd be much more yeah, effective yeah. with himself on the team. But I just mean in that, like, he's not Fabinho or he's not Henderson or... He could he could be a type of Wijnaldum, maybe. But um, in terms of fitting into Liverpool or City, I think if he went to either of those two teams, uh, possibly Arsenal, depending on what Arteta does. But I think if he goes to a really top-class coach, there's an awful lot that could be gotten out of him over and above his obvious natural gift like he, he has it mm. and he has the game on a string but if he went to somebody like Klopp or Guardiola there could be real growth in him like top level like brilliant well growth. he would yeah I mean like he would be playing around better players but I'd be interested so so Phil your perceived sort of flaw with Grealish is that he doesn't work hard enough or he doesn't you know there, there's not there's not enough running in him not really like I think it's a little bit on what you're saying playing better players like you see it a little bit sometimes with smaller teams. Not smaller teams is the wrong word, but like not top. I six know teams. what you mean. Yeah, right. yeah, that yeah, yeah. Their their best player is used to doing an awful lot of the heavy lifting in an attacking sense. So if he went to Liverpool or City, he'd be like, if he started, he'd be the like fourth or fifth most likely person to give the ball to to win the game. If you know what I mean, at the mm. moment in time. And um, so it would just be interesting to see how he would react to maybe having to become a bit more of a cog in the attacking wheel like uh, Madison is at Leicester because he's unlikely to be the wheel at City or Liverpool like he is at Villa um, so he w- like I think necessarily the way that Klopp and Guardiola manage he probably would have to put in an awful lot of a shift to earn the right to do the things I think um, you'd mm. obviously know him a lot better than me but like I- I'd take him at the right price for Liverpool I'd take him mm. Um I think he'd be a nice compliment to the skill set that's there um, at, at the club. And I think he would fit in at City as well. The only thing I would think is Guardiola, if he does believe in Foden, like he says, he'd probably like Phil Foden. Um, but I, I definitely have... I think I'd have Grealish before I'd have Madison. Um, part of it is because I just don't like Madison's face. But yeah, other, yeah. Than that, <laughs> other than that, I think I'd have him before Manny. I just think there's a bit more to him, a bit more kind of mm. personality or something as well. Mm. Yeah, that was going to be my point. Um, kind of going back to my my original point, that he might be more beneficial to England, and whatever about you know being suitable for Liverpool or Man City, even if he stays at Villa, it's the intangibles that he has. If that makes sense, he, he feel yeah. he seems like a winner. He seems like a player that other players want to play for, mm-hmm. um, and he kind of has. The kind of Gerardness, if that makes sense. I mean, yeah, he's, he's yeah. very kind of yeah, yeah. he's very gung ho, and that like if you're one nil down with ten minutes to go, I feel he'll get the more out of a team 
Dane and Madison would. He he's more passionate. He's more kind of he has that kind of that steeliness, that winningness that mm. a lot of players don't have, and that really struck me last night um, in the second half when when Villa needed that goal. Mm. Um, whether he'd fit in at Liverpool or Man City, I mean, like Keane said, I think if he did join one or the other. He'd be working with two of the best managers in the world, and I'm sure they'd get the absolute maximum out of them. Um, but I'd I'd want him to stay at Villa, and I, I'm sure you do, Keane, because if he if he stays at Villa, I mean, and you get better players around him, he's he just has that intangible thing that's mm. very hard to buy. Where if you're up against the cosh, he could do something out of nowhere, and and he's just going to grit his teeth and get it done. He kind of has that way about him. I feel. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, it's it's really, it's a difficult one for him and, you know, he's an ambitious lad and everybody knows that he would have ended up at Spurs, had Spurs, uh, Daniel Le- Levy not pissed about with them offering like six million and Josh Onema um, for him. So, so we know, we know, we, he, he, you know, he was on the cusp of leaving eventually. Everything changed the Villa lads, I, I, again, as we all know, I mean, they've got very affluent owners, clever, intelligent owners who, and this is only phase one of the of the rebuilding plan. So, you know, all eyes will be on mate. See if Villa can stay up. From that point, then you've got a, you've got a very good base of players to move the club forward and sort of add on to where where we're, where we're still weak. Um. So yeah, yeah. I mean. What I really enjoy about Grealish uh, in general is like, like I followed this kid since he was 15, 16. You know, I knew this was going to happen from then because just, just by, I just knew how talented he was, and also he had the attitude, and the attitude, and maybe not the professionalism at at the end, but I think John Terry coming in kind of definitely gave him the kick up the arse that he needed, um, and yeah, like. Just it, it's just seeing other like it's seeing you guys kind of react to him like is is kind of it's it's great it's not great for me it's like I enjoy it because it's kind of like having your own little kind of like <laughs> you know secret that now everybody's found out about and you're like yeah told you do you know what I mean like and mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like going to it's like seeing this like like really unbelievable gem of a film. And then telling everybody about it, and then they go and see it, and they're like, "Yeah, you were right. That was amazing." Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Um, look, we'll see what happens in May. But um, as a Villa fan, Jesus, I hope he hangs around. Um, finally, Phil, before uh, we go over to Kevin Higgins, I believe you have a bit of inside track on, on the mooted All Ireland League. Is there any fresh updates now that the um, FEI transition is is beginning to turn? Yeah, I, I was at a, a stakeholder meeting, they're calling them today, uh, in, in, in my work capacity. Uh, they, they're having a couple of these. They had one in Belfast yesterday. They've won in the, in the Aviva today all day, and they've won in Dundalk tomorrow night. And they're, they're running these for um, for the associations. They're running them for sponsors and broadcasters, for um, journalists, and then for players, co- players and coaches and fans as well. So they're running different sessions for the, for the different groups of people. And basically, uh, Karen Lucid and his, his team are kind of bringing everyone up to speed as to where they are on the league at the minute and then kind of an update from kind of the last time he did he did around the media so basically the, the big update is and i'm sure you you remember that the last time the Ireland league was in the news the ifa came out quite strongly mm-hmm. against it rubbished a few of the figures that uh that, that kieran and the guys had produced 
But uh, he, t- he said today that after meetings yesterday, the IFA has softened their stance. Um, I got the impression that it's not softened all the way to the fact that they're open to a complete, completely integrated cross-border league. But it sounds like they're open to a restructuring, which is different to what they were like before Christmas. So today's meeting kind of centered around the idea that um, they've employed these uh, sports consultants from uh, the Netherlands called um, Hypercube. And these guys, do, they do this uh, professionally for not just football leagues, different professional sports leagues around the world. They come in, they look at the structures and they help with restructuring. So they have 20 years experience or something in restructuring leagues, but they talk to all the stakeholders like the journalists, fans, players, media, all the rest of it. They get their ideas on how it should be structured and they run all the structures through this really smart algorithm they have and it predicts which is going to be the best for the um, advancement of the league. They were really impressive guys. Like... <laughs> way over my head in terms of the actual technical capabilities, but it, it sounded really cool. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, their process runs until the end of March, and by the end of March, the guys want to have the IFA and the FAI on board with a structure, which they're then going to go to UEFA with and say, here's our structure. So apparently it's going to happen that quickly. Um, oh. there, there's, there's four structures on the table um, at the minute, like before the guys run any kind of analysis on them. Uh, everything stays the same. There's no amalgamation under two distinct leagues. And um, they bring back some form of the Santa Cup. The third one is kind of a split league where the first half of the league would be as it currently is constituted, constituted, and then the second half would be across some sort of cross-border league. And the fourth option is a completely integrated cross-border league. And um, as I said, the IFA are softening their stance. Doesn't sound like they're all the way there onto the fourth one yet. Uh, it remains to be seen. But Hypercube have to go away and take all these suggestions that the fans and the players and everyone else puts forward and they're going to run their algorithms and the output will be a suggested structure to get the mm. IFA, the FAI to bring to UEFA. Um, so it, it sounds like it's more on track than it was mm. before Christmas. Are you looking at 2021, Phil? Or? They're still looking at that. They are still, they're still mm. looking. So the current League of Ireland, I think... The sponsor deals and all the rest of the arrangements runs until the end of this season, but he's st- they're still looking at 2021, 2022, and um, as as the year would all kick off. Now there's an awful lot to go between then and now. Like they don't have a structure, they don't have a proposed calendar of when it would run. They want to nail down uh, preferred broadcast dates. Like they, there's the whole gamut of things they still have to to decide upon, and that's part of Hypercube's job. But as it's planned at the minute, it's 2021. And obviously it's kind of hard to know at this point, considering there's been so much change. But was there any indication that the FEI are beginning to be a little bit more collaborative? I mean, you've Niall Quinn there now. I imagine he'd be a lot more um, open and ears open about uh, about such a change. Yeah, so, so Kieran Lucid said uh, publicly today that uh, they had a meeting in Abbottstown with the deputy CEO and deputy interim CEO. And both were very happy and open to continue the process. They hadn't met too much resistance from the FAI initially. I think the FAI were happy enough, given everything yeah. else that was going on. They were happy enough to kind of cede control of the league, uh, and they were especially happy because the league, the clubs were on board. So all twenty Irish league or League of Ireland clubs, rather to be specific in this case, all twenty of those from the Premier Division and First Division are on board with the process, and they're feeding their data into Hypercube, like their attendance data and all this sort of stuff. Um, and two of the Northern Irish clubs aren't on board. They weren't named today, so don't know who they are. 
but so most of the Northern Ireland clubs are on board and the Federation are cautiously getting on board. So I think the there was less resistance always from the FAI and League of Ireland clubs, but there seems to be some sort of uh, compromise being broached at the minute. <laughs> And depends on the quality of the eggs. In the supermarket you have eggs class 1, class 2, class 3. And some are more expensive than others and some give you better omelets. So when, when the class 1 eggs are in Waitrose and you cannot go there. Real Madrid is not Barcelona, it's an office small team, have many problems. I want my players play with balls. Welcome to Kevin Higgins of Kenny's Kids, the social media presence you might have been see, you might have seen providing updates and news on Irish players abroad. Um, and I think I speak for nearly every follower of Irish football that it has quickly become um, an invaluable resource in terms of keeping tabs on players in the UK and beyond. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Ah, cheers to that, Kevin. Thanks, man, for having me on. Happy to be here. Um, firstly, I suppose we'd like to know really what was the inspiration behind the account. Um, I mean, it's a kind of a thankless task, really, considering the volume of players abroad. What what made you uh, take it on? Has been a bit so far, yeah. Um, well, first off, to thank uh, Kevin Brannigan for the name. Now it was uh, his great documentary on uh, Kerr's yes. Kids that was on Hair Sports there that kind of gave me the name inspiration, but. Um, it was mainly a fair few years back, started following and supporting Leeds United and um, a lot of my friends now would have all been, you know, kind of just following the English football and not so much the Irish. So um, I kind of fell out of love with that over the last few years and uh, I kind of decided I'm going to support Ireland as such. And it might be down, thanks to years of playing football manager now, but uh, I just kind of felt I needed to know where we are with everyone as, as yeah. opposed to just the national team. So. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's it's been good crack so far, just done kind of voluntary basis. But um, yeah, no, I'm I'm more than happy with it so far. Good stuff. Um, I, th- I suppose we'll move on to the players then. Um, and I think from chatting with the lads over the past few months on the podcast, despite things on the pitch maybe not going so well at the moment, there's a bit of a positive vibe um, around the Irish football scene as more and more young talent begins to emerge. And I think... Troy Parrish probably represents that better than anyone right now, um, even though he hasn't been getting his chance at Spurs. Um, what do you see in Parrish going forward? I mean, I suppose the, the the question everyone is asking is, he better off getting a loan move or is he better off kind of biding his time at Spurs? Yeah, and I mean, it's hard for, I suppose, anyone who's not with him day in and day out to actually get the certainty on mm-hmm. that. I mean, Mourinho has suggested that he's that he's not. But at the same time, if QPR, Charlton, Sheffield Wednesday and this unnamed foreign club, if they do have the interest, which is reported, then uh, they seem to believe he is ready. Um, I mean, he's 18 next week, um, so it's it's very, very difficult to know ourselves. But 
I just there were two stats that kind of flung out at me uh, when I was checking him out there today that um, it's been 53 days since he's actually had any minutes of uh, any oh. level. Um, so um, he was playing with the under-23s at the beginning of the season, but he seems to have gotten promoted, but not actually um, not actually getting any minutes following the promotion. So um, we're talking 64 days since he's actually started the game. That was uh, the UEFA Youth League against Olympiacos, which he scored in. So my only concern really is that he isn't getting minutes at any level. Um, if he was getting under-23 football right now, then fair enough, but that doesn't seem to be the case, you know. That's disappointing to hear. Um, and, I mean, when when Marino got the job, there was, there was this kind of initial kind of wave of feeling that this was a kind of a new and improved Jose and that he's going to be all about youth and he's going to give everyone a chance. Um, and I was very disappointed to read his comments then a couple of weeks back, you know, basically saying Parrot is ready. But that kind of feels like a kind of a... I don't know, does it feel a bit weird considering he's in the senior squad? I mean, surely Jose must see something. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I get the concern over throwing him in, certainly in the likes of, you know, Premier League game. And I think he was uh, he was doing quite well and actually bringing him on for those last five minutes. You know, we handed him the match ball at the end against uh, Burnley. Um, so that was a good moment for him. It's mm. just, I suppose, the momentum after that kind of has just died off now. And um, yeah, it, it 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 is disappointing to be honest that he um, hasn't even involved them in, say, for example, when they're playing in the FA Cup against Middlesbrough, that he can't even make the bench. And you know they're two 0 up after half an hour, and you're just thinking this would be a great chance actually to get him a few more mm. minutes with the senior lads, you know. And what teams um, are, are being rumoured to, to be interested in him? I think I saw QPR mentioned somewhere along the line. Yeah, and the QPR one would be a good fit given that uh, their striker, Naki Wells, he uh, got recalled there by Burnley. So there is an opening there. Um, I wasn't able to find a quote myself now, but there were one or two people saying that uh, Lee Bowyer of Charlton, that he said the part would be starting if he joins. So... Um, Sheffield Wednesday would be the other one of the championship then and they haven't been doing too well in the goal scoring terms so um, don't know what the foreign club is but um, those three clubs alone I mean it's a pretty good standard to be at um, he may not be starting every game but it's you know get, getting in around the match day squad getting those minutes will definitely help um, there was some transfer news today which kind of caught me off guard to be honest because I didn't really think he was on the radar in terms of, of leaving was um, Callum Robinson who has jumped back to Championship football um, I thought he was doing okay at Sheffield United he wasn't getting a huge pile of action um, but he's joined West Brom now for the remainder of the season is that a good move in your book? Yeah, I think ahead of the qualifiers, it's the right move for him. Um, he's very much a rotational player at Sheffield United and hasn't really gotten the consistent run where he can really kind of prove his attributes. Um, there's also kind of the thing that last season with Preston, he was uh, cutting inside from the wing sometimes. He was part of a kind of front three. This time now he's had to adapt to a front two. So um, no, I, I definitely think it's the right move because uh, West Brom as well, um, they're obviously doing well in the league, yeah. but they don't really have that kind of, you know, an out-and-out -out striker that's scoring lots of goals for them. Um, I mean, last season for Preston, he had uh, 12 goals in 27 games and uh, four amount of the matches within that. So he's, he's definitely right for the level. 
Um, it would have been nice to see him push on in the Premier League, but you know, there's always next season for that, and uh, definitely ahead <clears> of March now, it's good that he'd be getting the minutes, you know. Kevin, Seth, Phil here, just with, with a quick one about another Irish player who's after getting a move in this window, it's uh, Connor Ronan, um, parent club Wolverhampton Wanderers, and he's gone on loan to Blackpool. He's a player who's had kind of an interesting career path so far. He's been with Walsall and Portsmouth, he's been out to Slovakia. Um, I was wondering. Uh, what how he might think the move to Blackpool will suit him in, and if it will help advance his cause kind of with the 21s and as he tries to make that break into the senior squad? Yeah, well, um, it's it's definitely a positive move to get back into the English football. Uh, the Slovakian football, I don't really know enough about it, but you'd probably find that similar with the FAI that it'd be tough getting scouts out there, getting the footage, etc., um, now it definitely has been a good experience for him uh, he's played pretty much the whole season pretty influential in their uh, Europa League qualification as well so um, no, it's 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 uh, the Blackpool move I mean people might have preferred a higher level and we know previous that he uh, didn't have the best time when he was in League One but um, he's uh, definitely looking physically better now and uh, I'd say it's the perfect time for him to kind of get back into the English League system start contributing and hopefully make that push for the Wolves squad next season. Kevin, I, I just wanted to ask, to, to move back to a, an operational point of view, I mean, you're, you're I assume you have a job, a full-time job, and <laughs> the work you're the work you're putting into to Kenny's kids is is phenomenal. Like, I mean, it's a huge service to, to Irish football fans and, and obviously to, to journalists who, who want to keep a, a track in it. Like, what is, is this? A, is this a spreadsheet job? Or I mean, like, th- there's there's a substantial number of, of Irish kids that you're, you're constantly updating um, social media on. I mean, like, I assume this is a, a, a serious body of work that you're taking on in your in your spare time. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I do kind of feel like I'm going too far down the rabbit hole at sometimes now, <laughs> um, especially when we get into <laughs> when we get into kind of the you know Division Seven and Division Eight of the English leagues. Yeah, it definitely mm. feels a bit too much at times. But um, no, I, I'm I'm off in uh, college at the moment now I'm doing um, doing I left school early so I'm doing this kind of uh, course that kind of gets you back ready for college um, oh, I was okay. working in the, was working in the public sector as well and that was just kind of driving me up the wall so I've, I've been lucky over the past few months that um, I've, I have had a bit of spare time just kind of college in the evenings um, now with the CAO and other bits going on yeah I will have to make a decision over the next few months but mm. Um, there's a donations tab at the top of the page so if anyone is kind of looking to support to keep it going be greatly appreciated um, if I can get some form of some kind of income then you know might be able to do it mm. full time while going mm. through college sort of thing or whatever you know yeah that was my next question because it is such a valuable you know tool for, for us and for people out there um, particularly journalists, I, I was kind of I was I was wondering like, would you try and make um, or monetize it um, in a way? So I mean, like even even if there was sort of advertising space and whatever else, um, I, I'm sure it would be I'm sure it would be helpful. But to, to go back to the players, um, the personally speaking, the, the the guys that I'm most looking forward to over the next few years is Jason Malumbi. Um, now, obviously, he's had um, a loan from Brighton to Millwall and he's taken it with both hands. Uh, um, really, the question is centred around loans and whether you think it's a, you know, it's a good thing for, for players to even drop down a level, just a, a, a power desk, 
to that they can get minutes in senior football under their belt and whether it's beneficial for them. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like the way to go. I, I mean, I've, I've only been running it for about a year now, but from following it, it seems that the players who are kind of getting the minutes um, on the actual pitch as opposed to, you know, the under-23 football uh, training, different various tournaments they run, um, especially the, the experience with playing against senior players is so essential, it seems. Um, I know of one or two that I don't want to name to offend, but they might have, you know, been at a good Premier League club in the under-23 system. Uh, all of a sudden, they're 22 years old, they never played a senior game, and then they get released and they're right down the leagues. Uh, players, on the other hand, who go and troop it out in the lower leagues, um, you, you know, they come back to their senior club and they're right in the mix. Uh, definitely for Malumbi now, it seems a great benefit. Uh, he's been doing fantastic at Millwall and they're looking at a promotion push. So um, he's playing alongside Sean Williams in the midfield and uh, can't think of a better mentor in the championship right now. Uh, finally, for me, the news kind of broke today. Well, it's not definitive news, but um, Brexit obviously is official from tomorrow. Um, and there's a report in the Telegraph this, this afternoon that basically is stating that players, Irish players under 18 will not be allowed to join um, English clubs. Now, is that a good thing for Irish football or is it a bad thing in your um, opinion? I think initially we might see some negatives, but over the long term it definitely will force our kind of domestic league or rather the people who have overseen the domestic league to actually mm. go and uh, fund it properly um, and set up those structures, plug the gaps so that we have a proper development pathway here um, mm. because we see most that go off to the UK end up back um, after a few years and a lot of them aren't back in a good position where they can, you know, kind of switch the career um, or can go straight back into playing football here. Um, it, it, it has been a big issue over the years and uh, this real change, if it does actually go and there's no sort of uh, successful appeal with FIFA to change the rule, then um, yeah, that, that, that will be the case that we'll have to uh, develop them here. And then obviously once you hit 18, the best will remain to go off to the best leagues in the world. But um, it will force us yeah, to set up those structures here uh, for the vast majority of football players we have. And um, Kevin... I suppose jumping again back to uh, the the range of players that we have in the Championship and League One. And if you're listening to managers to get an idea of who's kind of standing out, um, it seems Slevin Bilic is in the news every other week praising Darrow O'Shea, um, his young defender there, and he's starting to get a lot more minutes. Um, and I think from an Irish fan's point of view, it's a bit frustrating at times when you hear about this kind of young up-and-coming player and he turns out to be a defender because we probably have a very set back four and I mean anymore it's nice to provide some competition but it's going to be a very difficult position to break into. Um, what do you know about Darrow Shea? I mean he, in the few glimpses I've seen um, with the under-21s he's always stood out and he seems to be at a club now where he's, he's involved and I suppose a huge benefit is that West Brom are, are in the promotion range, so he could be a Premier League player next year. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And uh, I mean, at the start of the season, there was a bit of concern because he had had a great season at Exeter and was involved either as their player of the year, definitely in the in the League Two team of the year. 
And um, there was a concern, you know, when he was staying at West Brom that he wouldn't get any significant game time. I was looking for a loan move myself. But um, he started playing there in the past few weeks. Um, now, every match that I've seen him play, he's been a centre-back. They actually stuck him on the right-hand side, and uh, he was phenomenal. Mm. Uh, the West Ham game in particular now, he was shooting the crosses in, making tackles, really surprisingly high successful dribble rate as well. So um, he seems to be a very versatile player. Um, and as, as you've seen already with the under-21s, he's very much a kind of a leader on the pitch and it seems to be off it too so um massive massive future and uh i, I mean at the same time you have connor masterson coming in a qpr um and it's great to see him finally get the first team minutes and yeah. th- th- there were some clips against um was it leeds now where he was t- kind of ball playing right up until you know kind of outside the leeds box and he's definitely the kind of modern defender that we could definitely do within the irish team you know um and another player kind of in the mix at a, at a promotion chaser is Jason Knight and I have his Wikipedia page in front of me and I see he was born in 2001 which which Jesus that is and, uh, where, where did the years go oh my that God. is very depressing um, but uh, but he's in the mix now at Derby um, and he is is he a midfielder is he a bit of an attacking player because he is another who's kind of who's catching the headlines there yeah, I, I haven't actually seen him much in a midfield too now, but in a midfield three, he would definitely be, you know, kind of the more attacking. Um, with Derby now, he's been largely played on the right wing, but I think I've seen him on the left as well a few times. Um, fantastic kind of crosser the ball. He'll take on the man. Uh, very clean passer as well. I haven't really seen him drop below, you know, 80% success rate in any of the games. I've, I've watched him. So um, he's he's a player with kind of massive potential, and given that he's getting first team minutes at such a high level already, I mean, Derby might be concerned about holding on to him over the summer. He's been doing that well. Um, I mean, he was called up to the under twenty one squad with Kenny, and when you think like him, uh, Gavin Kilkenny, uh, Danny Mandrew, Jack Byrne, we we got a bunch of these kind of central midfield attacking players can diversify out into the wing if need be. Um, so there's you know kind of great attacking options coming out of the midfield as we go into the future. Kevin, are we <laughs> going to win Euro 2024? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I was only actually thinking about today about uh, you know kind of when Kenny takes over, uh, he'll be thrown straight into a World Cup run, assuming we do actually qualify for uh, 2020. Um, I mean, I remember just doing it from playing football manager myself a bit now. The draw's never too favourable for Ireland in a World Cup qualifying <laughs> yeah. group. So, um, you know... We're, look, we're looking yeah. at the Euros, really. I think we're looking at the Euros, lads, and we're going to win it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's about as fair as it can get now. <laughs> um, and, and then, like, thinking, of, thinking on, even then, 2026, 2028, all of the players mentioned, uh, they're still going to be just coming into the prime of their career. Uh, like, mm. to think to think what age power will be, you know, by World Cup 2030, he'll still be fit and ready to go. So, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, yeah, no, it's 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 it's, it's a great time, really. Um, it, it's unfortunate that there was kind of such a, gap in talent as such um like there, there, there's still some pretty mm. good you know kind of 24 25 26 year olds but um it's it's great now that we've a good crop coming through and uh um I'm, I'm hoping as well now with the managerial change that the style change might go along with that and um we'll start to see more people actually kind of enjoying the matches regardless of the result 
Yeah. Um, Fingers crossed, anyway. I suppose to finish off, Kevin, um, you're kind of keeping tabs on a lot of names, and we've name-checked a fair amount of players there tonight. Um, Is there anyone kind of under the radar that's starting to emerge, or is there any kind of names that you think people should be keeping an eye on? Yeah, um, difficult to pinpoint, given like my radar is is literally everyone at this stage. But... um, I mean, one one player who hasn't gotten a call up recently um, to the senior team, Daryl Lennon. Uh, now he's he's not, you know, like a say a Kenny's kids as such. You know, he's no teenager, but um, he he's been playing fantastic at Blackburn uh, since coming back from injury. Um, he's they have a great clean sheet record whenever he starts uh, scored in the past two games. So um, I know we talked about the strong defensive options, but um, you know, mm. if if anyone is off form or not playing. He's a more than capable guy to kind of come straight in. Um, in terms of the kind of youth side, it's, again, very difficult to pinpoint a particular player. But um, say, for example, Jonathan Afalabi's just made the move to Dunfermline yes. out in the Scottish Championship. Um, now, Dunfermline, I, I was having a check there today. They play 4-4-2. Uh, one of their strikers has 17 goals in 22 games, but um, they don't exactly have the best in terms of, you know, rotational backup options. So um, they played their first, or Afalabi should, sorry, play his first game now this weekend, and he'll definitely be someone to watch, um, be looking to, you know, start for the under-21s in March. So Very good. And he, he's kind of very much a Kenny's kid because he was performing really well, even without a club. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And even um, over the summer there with the under-19s, he was, you know, kind of our player of the tournament. Um, he, he was fantastic in one or two games. Um, a few people were getting a bit impatient, I suppose, with being the, uh, you know, being at Celtic reserves. Um, wouldn't exactly play at the highest standard in that, but I, I suppose he, he was getting the opportunity to train with the first team with Neil Lennon. So um, he, he was probably benefiting from that to an extent. Uh, but it's great to see now that he's out with a senior team, can get the football. And, you know, if he lights up that division, he's he's in contention for Celtic then next season. Very much so. I, I think it's uh, certainly an exciting time um, for Irish soccer. And, I mean, if you're, if you're not following Kenny's kids, um on Twitter and I believe you're on Instagram and Facebook as well, you're very much missing out. So I definitely recommend to give um, Kevin a follow there and just just see the wealth and the depth of of, of options that of, of Irish players um, over in the UK alone. Um, it's pretty impressive um, and it kind of gives you a some positive vibe for the future. I know it's been a tough couple of years. So thanks very much, Kevin, for coming on the show tonight. Ah, nice, no well, Kevin. Cheers, thanks, Kevin. cheers, lads. Thanks.